This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Yo, it is another edition of the High Hopes Podcast. I am your host, James Seltzer. Back from my uh, non-vacation vacation vacation, uh, to my basement flooding, to the Phillies losing six of eight. I feel like the moment I left, they started playing terrible. So basically now that I'm back, they'll be good again. That's that's what I'm banking on. Uh, With me, I'm very excited. I missed the week away. It was was tough to go a full week without talking baseball, especially on the High Hopes podcast with my buddy. Jack Fritz. Fritzy, you're pissed off. Uh, yeah, it's just like, you know, they scored one freaking run in, a, in an entire series against a Giants team that is... Dog meat! They're dog meat! Right. They're not, they're not much of anything. And, you know, the fact that they, their one run was a home run by their pitcher... <laughs> yeah. It was just like, are you guys? Are you guys kidding me? And it was it was a series of non-competitive at bats. It was just a, a series of. It was just disappointing to say the least. And I love West Coast Phillies. Like West West Coast Phillies is probably my favorite Phillies. And the fact that they ruined that by having just horrible offensive output is just disappointing. So it was a really really frustrating time while you were away. I blame it solely on you, <laughs> and I didn't like it one bit because this team went into the crapper as soon as you went away. I it's cra- I, I trust me. I've been thinking about it nonstop, and uh, they went in the crapper, and Reese Hoskins breaks his jaw. It's like, what the hell, man? Not cool. I my basement is flooding. I don't need my Phillies flooding too. Um, but yeah, this this weekend was just a. Uh, uh, really a, a bummer of a series and and I uh I enjoy West Coast Phillies as well more so when I don't have to stay up and do a podcast right after it than I used to but the weekend late night Phillies baseball is my favorite thing in the world and it it sucked it was really like you said it was disappointing is a great word for it I mean they made Chris Stratton and Albert Suarez look like Cy Young and Chrissy Matthewson. It was it was outrageous. It was a really disappointing weekend of baseball, especially when, you know, like you get that kind of outing from Vinny and you gotta capitalize on that. Yeah, and and we'll get to him in a bit, because I know that uh that you're certainly feeling a little more bullish than in the past. But he looked great and and he gave them a gem and and they did nothing to back him up and then of course Arietta the homer uh, the only run they score in 20 their last 29 innings has been a pitcher home run uh, 15 hits total over the weekend uh, and and look the game they won before you know they only won 2 to 1 and they won on the back of a great pitching performance as usual has been the the, the 
you know, method for them this season, the formula, as it were, in the sense that, it, which is crazy, because, like, you know, you could have uh, asked 100 Phillies fans and 99, maybe all 100 would have said, oh, yeah, the, the hitting's going to be way better than the pitching, and who knew? But we're getting to the point where you're starting to worry about, is the hitting good enough? Like, you know, like, especially with Hoskins out of the lineup, and I know that he was struggling coming in, but... Um, he still provided a, 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 at least something to fear in the lineup and also, um, you know, someone to kind of, who's going to at least get on base with consistency. It's been really frustrating. And, and we'll get to Arietta's post game comments in a minute. Cause I want to, I want to get your thoughts on that, but, but we got to start with, like you mentioned that the offense, I, I mean, man, again, they've lost six of eight, including, and, and I said before I left how huge these games were against the, the Blue Jays, the Dodgers, and the Giants because they are the, by far the three worst teams they're going to play for the next month. You know, they've got two series with the Brewers on tap. They're playing the Cubs now. They got two series with the Nationals. They got the Yankees. It's, it's a brutal schedule this month. Jack, what have you seen offensively that, A, you think can be kind of corrected here, especially without Hoskins in the near term, and uh, be you know anything else that kind of just stands out to you from the lack of offensive production, and and also mostly how worried are you about it in in the long term? Well, it's just that the thing that has me most frustrated is that it's been non-competitive. Like they've been going up there, and they're like early in the season at least they were grinding out at bats, they were working deep counts, and they're making hard contact. Now it's like. Oh, it's 0-2. Guess what? I'm just going to strike out here. And they're not putting together tough at bats. It's just like flailing at balls. They're they're jumping at pitches out of the strike zone. Like Scott Kingery can't freaking hit. And like when he tries a swing, it's just like the softest swing I've ever seen. And I can't believe we're saying that about Scott Kingery, who we I mean, I love Scott Kingery. I want Scott Kingery to be a cornerstone piece, but right now, it's just like the dude is just he's all out on his front foot. He is just flailing at every single pitch that is coming at him. He's not hitting a ball hard. Um, it, it, they, are, they are putting together a string of non-competitive at-bats, whereas the whole model of this team is the work counts, grind out pitchers, and, and work deep counts. Now they're not doing any of that. They're not doing any of that. It is, it is, they're not swinging early in counts, and when they do swing early in counts, it's weak contact. And when it's 0-2, they just get uncompetitive. I don't know. I don't know how you fix it. I don't know what what they can do to fix it. But they need to do something because it's 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 been two weeks of not hitting, and it, it, the approach to the plate has been has been garbage. They get they get two measly runs, one run that didn't even count off of Clayton Kershaw, and they're doing like they're like dancing on the bus after the game, acting like they actually slayed Kershaw, which doesn't count. It is just like it is. It is a really, really frustrating time, and it just—it doesn't seem like every night in, night out, it is the same thing over and over again. They are not working deep counts. They are not fighting off pitches. They are not hanging in there. The only guy that's hanging in there and trying to make something up in a bat right now is is Carlos Santana. Like and everyone, even Adubo Herrera, who me and you both love, and everyone else loves. Like he's had, he's batting. I think one twelve. The last two weeks, like he just does not look like the same kind of player. Cesar hasn't been good in in, in a week. Uh, Reese being out hurts. Aaron Altair, who I will defend to the grave, has been just absolute horse crap. 
Like, he is so bad. And it is 0-2, all of a sudden he's out. It is 0-1, it's, he's, he's getting himself out. He's, stri- he's struck out 14 times in his last, like, 23 at-bats. Like, what are you doing? Like, what are you doing? I, for the first time this season, I had found myself yelling at a TV because it is just like I can't believe that a team with the offensive potential of this is continuing to put up just dog crap at bats after dog crap at bats. And it's getting to the, to the boiling point for me where I just can't take it anymore. Like, figure it out. And there's absolutely no scenario to where you can blame this on playing different positions. That is just a, a, a terrible, terrible excuse for bad offense. Scott Kingery is not going to the plate thinking, wow, I can't hit because I'm playing shortstop tonight. Reese Hoskins is not going to the plate thinking, wow, I don't know how I can focus right now. I'm playing left field. Um, there's multiple guys playing all over the place. Go up there and hit. And they're not putting together competitive at-bats. It is, it, is, it is contagious at this point, and I, I don't think I can take it anymore. Fiery Fritz, I like it. Uh, hard to argue with really anything you said. Uh, the non-competitive at-bats is the most frustrating part of it. Like you said, you know, if it's 0-2, it feels like the at-bats over. Uh, it's funny, you mentioned Altera. It's, I would say other than Santana, the guys who's had the best at-bats is probably Nick Williams over the last two weeks. And look, you know, neither of us are big Nick Williams fans, but he's battled better than Alteraz over the last couple of weeks. But again, look, this is a small sample size. Teams go through this. I think I think it's a bigger worry because this offense hasn't really gotten going all season long. You know, the, the pitching, as we talked about, has carried them to the 31-26 and 26 record and has really just really lifted them above what they should be. But uh, the offense has clearly regressed over the last few weeks in the sense that, like you said, the approaches have been just so pathetic, and they haven't had that team-wide approach. And I understand if they're trying to mix it up to try and get some bats going. You know, maybe they should be swinging at some pitches earlier in at bats. Maybe that's something they want to adjust to. But one way or the other, the, the, the bats have been just uncompetitive. And um, I think, you know, Scott Kingery is a guy who – you know, and this might be like heresy to say, but I think he'll probably use a, a trip back to the minor leagues. Like, I think he probably could use a stint down in the minors and, and get his swing, you know, back in, in lower stakes at bats and get that confidence back. Like right now he just has zero confidence at the plate. And then that's why you're seeing the weak contact, the weak swings, the, you know, un- inaggressive, unaggressive, whatever you not aggressive approach at the plate. And it takes away what he did best, right? I mean, Scott Kingery was was never a guy who's going to grind out walks or you know, kind of you know, sit up there and really grind out at bats. He's someone who's going up to hack and he's going up to see a pitch he likes and take advantage of it. And we haven't seen that guy yet. And, and I think that that's a correction they need to make. And look, it's time for John Maley to to earn some money. You know, and like, how do you fix these things? You figure out the funk and you fix it, right? These guys, like you said, Jack, this is not a group of guys that don't have the potential to be successful offensively. All of these guys that we're talking about, except for obviously like Dylan Cousins coming up right now, and we'll get into Cousins. I'm not the biggest Cousins fan, but um, you know, all these guys have at least proven at the major league level at one time or another to to have the ability to succeed. Other than Kingery, of course, and I think that um. You know, I think they still can. It's just, it's been a very frustrating stretch of baseball. And I think that, 
You know, they, they need to figure out something. And whether it's a change in approach, whether it's hammering home the approach that we really haven't seen over the last two weeks and going back to the kind of more dogged at-bats type of approach, who knows? And look, maybe other teams in the league are starting to adjust and they're saying, all right, we're not going to let you grind us out. We're going to throw first pitch strikes, second pitch strikes, and that's why we're seeing a lot of 0-2 counts as well. But regardless, when you go up, uh, there's no excuse. When you make Chris Stratton and Albert Suarez – and uh, and Pud Rodriguez's kid uh, look like look like superstars, and that is um, that's a really frustrating outcome from the weekend. Speaking of that, and and before we get to Cousins, I we, I gotta touch on these comments from Arietta after the game. Is look, I understand the frustration boils up when you're Jake Arietta and you've already had Hector Neris blow a few games this year, and you feel like uh, you know you hit the only score the only run with a home run uh, that your team has scored in three days. I understand the frustration, especially when he feels like there are balls out there that should be fielded that aren't being fielded, but comes out after the game and uh, basically throws the coaching staff under the bus a little bit. And, and even, I guess, his defenders as well, but saying that we have the worst defensive shifts in the league. That is something we need to fix. He said uh, something to the effect of, and I'm paraphrasing here, you know, we need some accountability. And, and if there isn't any, I'll make sure there is like, very strong words. And, and on one end, we this is, you know, why we wanted Jake Arietta to come in here, right? A guy who who's going to be a leader and is going to stand up for, for things. and But also kind of, you know, at the moment, you know, calling some people out in public. And that's, you know, not, not something that is ever, I would say, a hallmark of a great baseball team. It's it's something to worry about. So where do you come down, A, on on the comments he made and, and, and look at, you know, kind of what Kapler needs to do here, but also... Uh, on on just the kind of whole thing of him him speaking out so um, openly and angrily after the game. Well, I think that I think he's decided that this is more or less his team in a sense, and he's right about the accountability thing. Like, you know, acting like they won the World Series after beating Kershaw, I think, was ridiculous, and him coming out and be like, listen, we, we have accomplished nothing essentially. And I think it was, I think it's important for the team to have a guy like area that can come out and, and just say what's on his mind because I'm sure everyone else is thinking it. And I don't really have a huge problem with it because I think I, I generally like the positivity from Gabe Kapler and the positive positivity from the entire coaching staff. But there has to be a, a a point to where you can't just be positive all the time and you have to rip into guys or else they just think they can do what they want. Like if, if for your entire life, if you're handed everything, you're just going to be used to getting handed everything and you won't be able to handle getting yelled at. And with the team right now, sure, they have a good record. They're six games over 500. It's been a pretty good season, but they've accomplished nothing. And, it's great that, that Gabe Kapler has, has put in a positive outlook onto this, this, this clubhouse, and guys seem happy. They seem ready, happy to be there in a sense. But when things get tough, you need guys who can, who can yell at, be yelled at, and, and, and make sure the message is sent that this is not acceptable, or else you just got have guys goofing off. Because there, there has to be a nice balance between – the the happy-go-lucky and hard-ass. And I haven't seen enough of the hard-ass from Gabe Kapler 
when it's a 162 game season, you need sometimes where it's a hard ass and sometimes where it's like, ah, we can kind of hang back. This isn't a big deal. Scoring one run and that one run being a home run from the pitcher in a three game series against the Giants, it's time to to buckle down and, and get angry at your team. I love the positivity, but it was time for that to go. And I think Arietta would just send a message to the rest of the clubhouse saying, listen, this is it's nut up or shut up time. And and he had to send that message because he's the guy who has won the World Series, is the Cy Young winner, is a $75 million a year guy, or $75 million over three years guy. It was his job to do that, and I had no problem with him coming down on the team that way because I think that was a message that a young team needed to hear. And Reese Hoskins getting hurt at this time does hurt this team because he was such a leader in that clubhouse. Yep. Um, and whether or not he was hitting well or not, you pretty much knew he was going to go up there and put up a good A.B. And he was going to fight, and he was the he's pretty much the face of the franchise at this point. And him being out of the lineup, it, it, it creates a hole. And him being gone, he came back yesterday. It forced Arietta to kind of be in this more outward vocal leadership role. I didn't really have a huge problem with it. And he's not totally wrong on the defensive shifts thing because they got crushed with defensive shifts this weekend. And they are the worst team in the major leagues with the defensive shift, like, differential or whatever. Like They're, they're like, minus eight, which is the worst in, in the big leagues, and the Dodgers are minus one. So it's, it hasn't worked. But at the same time, like, shifts are all over baseball. Gabe Kapler's not reinventing the wheel. And water always finds its level. So that criticism was stupid. But the accountability thing, I, I completely agree with. Yeah, I'm with you on on absolutely that someone needed to say something. And Arietta is the guy who the clubhouse will look up to. And I think you make an interesting point about Kapler and, and needing to be tough sometimes and, and lovey-dovey some other times is, you know, you kind of usually sometimes will see the yin and the yang with those guys, the the Larry Boas who are the the super fiery get pissed off guys, and then a uh, a Charlie Manuel comes in and he's the the opposite, and that works. Same thing with Joe Torre in New York, but I, I do think that that when you have guys, you do need to at least put your foot down at certain times. And and look, maybe um you know I, I maybe sometimes having players do it for you, a guy like Arietta that that works in a way too, at least with the clubhouse. But I, I think it's interesting that that Arietta is not only calling out his teammates accountability wise, but he's calling out the coaching staff and the analytics department and really anyone who's involved in the decisions of the shifts that they're making. Because while I agree with you, look, uh, uh, shifts are not going anywhere. They uh, work for the most part. You know, uh, I think that it's something that it, it not every other team in baseball is doing it to some level or another. It's a question of if you're shifting the right way. Right. And, and so far, whatever the Phillies have been doing has not been the right shifts. Like, sorry, they're just not working. And I understand if they are using the same metrics and numbers that other teams are doing, maybe it's an execution issue. Maybe it's that that defenders are not making the plays they should ma be making. But we've certainly seen instances where defenders were not in spots where you would normally expect them to be. And plays weren't made because of that. So I, I do think it's probably elements of both. But... I think it's really interesting that Arietta wasn't only just calling out accountability for the team; he was calling it out for the for the front office and the coaching staff and everybody, and saying it was a real, you know, it's a kind of a real 
you know, baller kind of move to call out your coaching staff like that. It's also, you know, can be risky at times too. And here's the thing why I think it's not going to be an issue moving forward because we've seen Kapler deal with this stuff already, right? Like he's dealt with the, the about as much fire and hate and all type of stuff as any first year manager possibly could through his first two months of his, his career as it were. Um, so, and every time he's really handled it well, at least from a, a public you know perspective, and it seems from a clubhouse perspective as well as, you know, up until this recent stretch of, of losing six of eight, they've played good baseball. They've been pretty resilient. It seems like they've bought into what he's selling. So I think you'd have to say that for the most part, he's done a really good job so far. So, um, but I also think that from a, from a kind of a public perspective, he, he's really taken things on the chin and he said, all right, that's on me. I got to do a better job. I got to fix that. And I think you're going to see it again. Obviously he's going to get asked about the Arietta comments. And I, I think that's the, the tact he's going to take. I think he's going to say, Hey, listen, you know, uh, uh, Jake, Jake has a point. We need to figure something out, whatever. And I, I think that's what he should do. You know, I think that's, it, it's a different thing for a player to speak out about things like that than for a manager. A manager ultimately is in charge of all 25 guys in that clubhouse, the entire coaching staff. Like it's his job to keep things in house and, and to not look, if you're calling out a player for, for a particular reason, cause you think it'll fire them up. You think that's what that player needs. Awesome. That's some next level coaching. Good for you. But for the most part, I think in most cases it is always beneficial for a manager to take the shield for his guys and to put it on himself and handle everything else inside the clubhouse. I think that nine times out of 10, that's the way that managers end up being most successful with those clubhouse dynamics. Um, Yeah. uh, 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 Yeah. Go ahead. Let me just say one thing. And and the one thing I've been super frustrated with, with the shifts is that when you, when it's, when it's second and third, less than two outs, and it's it happened at least two times in this giant series. It may have happened another time. Like they're just leaving open the the the, the second base hole. There's no one playing second base when it's second and third, one out. And I just I don't understand what numbers could possibly be behind not having a second baseman there. Like if I'm if I'm Andrew McCutcheon, if I'm a major league caliber hitter, and I see a huge hole second and third. Or with, at, at second base with second and third, less than two outs. Or two outs. It doesn't even matter. I'm going to poke a ball right through that hole. And I don't think – I think shifting in that situation is just moronic. And I can't believe that a guy who played in the major leagues for however long Gabe Kapler did sees that and is like, you know what? That makes a lot of sense because it doesn't. Like eventually a major leaguer is going to figure out how to hit a ball – to the second baseman and drive in two runs. Like, I, that's that's the sh- part of the shifting that I don't understand. And that may sound old school or whatever, but, like, shifting can be beneficial when it's a guy with really good trends. But they've shifted with guys who have absolutely no trends at all. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. Like, McCutcheon's a perfect example. Like, that dude's a major league hitter and a, has been a, a batting champion. I mean, that's a guy who knows if you're going to give him that large hole, especially in like, I mean, a spot where, where any good major league hitter should be able to hit the ball up the middle. I mean, that is something where I, Jack, I'm with you. I was, that's kind of where I was about to go was I was about to say like on the defensive shifts. I think, I think the issue is that 
is not the shifting. It's just he's using the wrong shifts in the wrong situations far too often. That That's really what it seems to be against hitters where, like you said, like, yeah, you line up the, the entire infield and outfield on one side of the field when Joey Gallo's up. Sure, that seems to work pretty well. But I, I, I'm, I'm with you, man. I, I've been shocked by it. Yeah, and, and now, sure, uh, other things have played into it. Like, Scott Kingery is not a He's a bad shortstop. Like he's he's just, a bad defensive shortstop, man. I said that on Phillies today, just just recently. He's just a bad defensive shortstop. He really is. He makes he makes some really good plays. Like I think he's looking more comfortable the last couple of days. But even when his routine plays, and it happened again today, where uh, it was Alec Hansen and he hit a ball to shortstop, and it was a big moment in the game. He couldn't turn to. He just decided to get the the second out at first base. And he couldn't make the throw. Like, he, 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 for as much as he's helped them in some games, like, he made that play in the ninth inning against the Dodgers where it, it, it won them the game. It helped them win the game. He's also killed them. Like, uh, Saturday night, it was, a, it was a play at the plate. He pulls Alfaro away from the bag because he just doesn't know how to make that throw from, from shortstop. Shortstops have a different arm angle. Totally. Than every other position. And... It, he just throws like a second baseman. He is a second baseman. He is yep. not a shortstop. Jack. I think in a, in a pinch, he could play shortstop. I think in a pinch, he could play third base. But he is not an everyday shortstop or a third baseman. And I don't think I don't think that's an excuse for what he's doing at the plate. But I don't think it's helped. Oh, I agree 100%. And look, I think he's a better outfielder than he is a shortstop or third baseman. He, like you said, he doesn't have the arm for shortstop, and he doesn't know how to use the arm at shortstop. Plus, he seems to not really understand covering from the other side of the bag. Like he's so, it almost seems like he's still trying to cover the bag like a second baseman. His glove always seems to be in the wrong position on on uh, throws from Alfaro as well as uh, turning, like you know, uh, turning to plays at second base. He just always seems awkward when he's coming from that side. Um, I've been really unimpressed with that, but I'm with you. And I, I do look, I don't think, I think that moving all around the diamond, uh, certainly isn't going to help his offensive progression, but it doesn't excuse what we've seen. I mean, we've just seen a guy who's been lost at the plate and has zero well, confidence well, James, and you can't blame that all on, on position changing. That's ridiculous. James, I don't, I don't think he can see a curveball out of the hand. Like, I don't think he knows. I don't think he has any recognition of what a curveball looks like, because if you've seen him recently this whole season whenever they throw a curveball or a slider and it's five three feet out of the zone it doesn't matter because he's going to chase it i don't think he can see curveball out of the hand I, I i firmly believe that yeah well look i, I and and that's certainly possible but I think right now, more than anything, it's it's a it's as much a confidence issue, and also I think a not being ready issue. You know, I think he just is a little not quite ready for the major leagues at the moment, and and I think the fact that he's continually struggling and being asked to do so much and be in the lineup day in day out, just struggle, struggle with so little positivity, so little success. You know how important it is for baseball players to be confident at the plate. I mean, it's it's everything, and I think he's just got no confidence right now. No, and he's done some things recently, like he started to lay down some more bunts, and you're starting to see the the potential of a guy like Kingery. Like Kingery has unbelievable speed. Uh, he's a, he's a pure he's a pure baseball player. It's just that that only gets you so far. 
and he's not hitting for any kind of power. Now, I think he's gotten a bit unlucky. He has hit some balls in the head that have, you know, whether it was a Ronald Acuna diving ball in the outfield, he, he squared some balls up against the Giants. But for the most part, can't see curveball out of the hand. Um, he's making weak contact against pretty much everything else. It's really, really frustrating, no matter if he's laying down a bunt or whatever. Uh, it's, it's, it's bad right now. And unfortunately, they don't have anyone else they can play because of all the injuries they've had. So it's Kingery every night, which is fine. Like it, it, Now, you've got to readjust your expectations if you're fine with Kingery playing every day. Like I am cool with Kingery playing every day because I, I want him to be a part of my future going forward. But it may single-handedly sacrifice a playoff run, which I'm sure doesn't sit well with Phillies fans. Because they're like, well, we want to make the playoffs because playoff baseball is awesome. If you're going to play Kingery every day, it's hard to, to see a path to the playoffs, especially with the way he's playing right now. Yeah, no, you got to hope for improvement. Like I said, that's why I really think like a two, three week stint in the minors could really get him going. I mean, obviously, you have to hope yeah, no, that he goes but, to the minors and starts raking. Well, the problem but that, is that no one else can play, though. Like, that's no, I, they can't do anything now. I'm talking once Crawford's back, four months yeah. back. Like, maybe they could do something, but oh, I'm with you. Well, that's been the problem. And, and I, like, that was, you know, that's one of the things I was thinking about, too, is like, look, Crawford has obviously been bad offensively when we've seen him, but even just having a guy who could play shortstop and play it you know, adequately to well will help this team, you know, and, and I, it's just been, it's been a really frustrating turn of events, kind of the way things have spiraled down the last week and a half. Before we get off the offense real quick, Dylan Cousins, uh, any hope for anything? <laughs> no. Yeah, me too. No, I can't uh, say uh, it, I, Yeah, I'm just, nope, nope. I have nope. no interest. I, him and Mitch Walden can, like, they're both quad A players. I think Dylan is the new Darren Ruff in my mind. Except he's, Darren he's Ruff's a, probably better. He's a left-handed Darren Ruff. Like, yeah. Here's, here's what's going to happen, James. And can I just call my shot right now? Please. I, I love when you call your shot. He is going to hit a home run in like an 8-1 game. And everyone's like, oh, my God. Got to get him in there. He hit that one like 450. Listen, Dylan Cousins can't hit. Like, no matter what you – the guy put up Ryan Howard strikeout numbers in 50 less games in the minor leagues. Like, the guy can't hit. I'm sorry. Yep, I'm with you. You're preaching, and he is going to hit a monster shot, and people are going to go nuts over it. I, I couldn't agree more. That is absolutely going to happen. Uh, all right, uh, real quick, uh, before we get into what's up ahead with the Phillies, is the Phillies have – like, again, I mentioned it before, just in the same month of June, but – Cubs series coming up really quickly, though, Jack. I, I have to give you a minute or two here. Uh, MLB draft. Talk. Go. Yes. Oh, I can't wait. I Listen, tomorrow is one of the biggest days of my life because we have we have the first pitch up in Reading, which I'm sure we'll talk about more at the end of the podcast. Yes. Very excited for that. But it is the, ML, is the start of the MLB first player draft or first year player draft. And the Phillies have a really, really good core. They have a, a really fun, exciting, young core with the addition of, of Arietta and Santana that is, that is making them better at the present and makes them more marketable to the likes of Manny Machado or Bryce Harper, which we should probably talk about the Manny Machado rumors because while you're away, everyone started freaking out about how they should go get Manny Machado right now, which is uh, utterly absurd. Unless, yeah. unless you put together the package that John Heyman threw out there 
where I would probably do it, which was which was Eniel De Los Santos, uh, Jose Tavares, and uh, Andres M- uh, Gamboya. Yep. The, the yeah, you do that. That's the thing. If you're not giving up, uh, if you're not giving up Sixto Kingery, like some of your guys who you are your top 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 guys. De Los Santos is really good, but I, I think you do that deal. If you turn Freddie Galvis <laughs> into Manny Machado, I'll take it. Wow. Wow. I mean, essentially, that's what it is. Yeah, uh, you're exactly right. So, but the first year player draft is tomorrow night, and unfortunately, because uh, every baseball America writer is just lazy and didn't want to come on the podcast, we don't have any guests for the podcast. Wow! But- <laughs> Shots fired at the Baseball America crew. I'm just kidding. I like them a lot, but I, and I think we're gonna get a. I think we're gonna get JJ Cooper on after the draft. He just said that he was super swamped before the draft, which is fine. I completely so, get so it. not lazy, swamped. You amend the statement. Right. Very, very. We, we love you guys. Don't worry. Yeah. <laughs> I was just being facetious. I, I, I love them. But um, <laughs> the the first year player draft is tomorrow night, and the Phillies. I don't think they can go wrong. Truly, I don't think they can go wrong with with three picks. Or no, no. Actually, I made four picks. Well, Casey Mize is going first. That's like a pretty much uh, assumed fact at this point, right? And, and can I go on the record right now and say that I think Casey Mize is not that good? And I, I think would, you just did, Jack. I would rather have Brady Singer if I had a choice. I'd rather wow. have Brady, the, the wow. right-hander from Florida. Wow. Uh, he's been in bigger games. All right, so he's one of the three potential options for the Phillies at three. Who are the other two? I'm assuming Nick Madrigal. Uh, Nick Madrigal is one of the options. Yes, the the second base slash shortstop from Oregon State, the best in my opinion, the best pure hitter in the draft. He's five foot seven, five foot eight. One of those guys, as we've talked about in the past, um, a little guy. Short players are the new market inefficiency. Yes. <laughs> um, listen, I think he's a stud. The problem is that it's Kingery and Crawford, and are you ready to break those guys up for Madrigal? I'm not sure you do that. The consensus pick is Alec Baum, the third baseman from Wichita State, who looks like Richie Sexton to me, but a couple of people have compared him to Chris Bryant. I mean, Richie Sexton, for what it's worth, had a solid career. Yeah. No, Richie Sexton, the the 03 home run derby in Milwaukee is something I will never forget. Yeah, I I was a Richie Sexton guy. Oh, of course. Uh, also, it was like the, the the last name Sexton to like a third grader was like a wild last name. <laughs> um, but I think he's going to be pretty good. He's probably the best pure power bat in the draft. And if you have him at third base, uh, he's he can, may play first base, may not be athletic enough to stick at third, but whatever, we'll get there uh, at that time. And if he can replace Franco, whatever. Uh, and the other guy who... Is my like, I would take this guy at three if I had a choice. If I was the GM, I would take Matthew Liberator, uh, this left-handed high schooler from from uh, California. He or is he? No, he's from Arizona. I'm pretty sure. Anyway, whatever, doesn't matter. He 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 spots his fastball both sides of the plate, 92 to 94. His curveball is Clayton Kershaw's curveball. He whoa, he, it's 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 unbelievable. It, he's like a he's like a it's him and Mackenzie Gore out of the last two drafts of, of left-handed pitchers. They're both going to be studs, but he has a change-up, and he's, he showcases a slider. Just his pitchability for a high school pitcher, I think, is just insane. So either one of those three, and then if Brady Singer's there, I, I'm fine taking Brady Singer in an Aaron Nola kind of role. Um, but either way, you're adding a legit piece to a team that already has some of the best young talent in the big leagues 
with the kind of uh, cap room that they have. So it's it, tomorrow's an important night um, because you know the last couple of drafts, Cornelius Randolph is nothing. Mickey Moniak. Now before you slander Mickey Moniak, ten straight games with a hit. Oh. Four straight games with double-digit hits and his first homer of the day, or first homer of the year today, up to around 250 on the year. And Adam Hazley is continuing to rake. So some exciting times down in the down in the minor leagues. Um, but tomorrow night you're adding another weapon to a minor leagues that you're going to have to start shelling out for some legit pieces, maybe even a Madison Bumgarner trade. Look at this guy. Oh my goodness. All right. Um you really that, I don't think there's anyone on the planet more excited about the MLB draft than you. That I was can't wait. I can't, that, I, that, that was the I most cannot. oversold thing I've ever heard and I loved it. Um all right, Jack, uh before we get to the most important pitch that will be thrown in the near future, maybe ever. Uh, big series coming up. As we already mentioned, I mentioned before, the month of June is crazy. It's like the Cubs, then they got the Brewers, they've got Colorado, then the Brewers again, then it's, uh, they've got the, the Nationals, Yankees, Nationals, the, the Cardinals are in there. It's, it's a crazy schedule, but let's start it off uh, with this Cubs series coming up, uh, starting on Tuesday, Eflin versus Hendricks. Then uh, Aaron Nola against Jose Quintana. That'll be a fun one. And then uh, potentially advantage with Nick Pavetta going up against Tyler Chatwood, who has struggled to throw strikes this year. What do you think about this series coming up in Chicago? Big series after losing 6-8. The Phillies, you know, nice off day uh, on Monday to kind of get back on track. But big series against a Cubs team that's 10 games over 500 and playing really good baseball. Well, guess who's going to be in Chicago for Pavetta Day on Thursday? Are you going to Chicago? Yeah. Get out of here. Yeah, I've never been to Wrigley. Thursday. Oh my goodness. Yeah, Thursday's my first time in Wrigley. Oh, it's uh, awesome. Yeah. Wrigley is amazing. It is. It is such a cool place. Truly, I truly cannot wait. So I'm very happy for you. Any every baseball fan should go to Wrigley. It's like a, a pilgrimage. The fact that I haven't been there almost disqualifies me from being on this podcast. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of I'm I'm both excited for you and mildly disappointed that you haven't been there yet. But uh, yeah, the Cubs, they're fine. I just you I before the season even started, I you, you know I wasn't in on the Cubs. Like I just you wasn't. weren't. And you know I can't believe a a fraudulent GM would honestly choose. You Darvish over Jake Arrieta <laughs> or sign Tyler Chatwood or give $180 million to Jason Hayward. Oh, like, man. He is so overrated. If oh, you a- God. Red Sox and EC ended uh, 200 years of sadness and futility. Listen, oh, my man, God. All oh, I'm my saying, God. This guy. This guy. All I'm saying is that if I had to choose one GM to run my franchise. I'm choosing Brian Cashman over. Oh, over that, that's an uh, atrocious take. And I like Brian Cashman. That's an he's, atrocious take. He's oh, way God. better. He's way uh, better. Theo's like the best uh, sports figure of the last hundred years. He ended the Cubs years? after 108 years and the Red Sox after 86 years. Are you kidding me? Name one other person who's that kind of impact on their sport. Once. Name Sam, one. Sam Hankey. Well, I, I, someday, I hope. But, of the uh, last hundred years, you're putting Theo fraud-ass Epstein in there? I mean, he's up there, man. I oh, mean, I, let's put it this way. Let's put it this way. Let's put it this way. 
I I would say that ending the Red Sox 86 years of suffering and then ending subsequently ending the Cubs 108 years or whatever of suffering is the greatest sports achievement in our lifetimes. How about that? <laughs> How about that? Uh before anyone, before I get angry, tweets, it's it's just a bit. I, I, like, <laughs> I like the UFC. Um, and if I had to vote a guy for president, in if I had to choose a a sports front office exec for president, I would vote for Theo Epstein. It's a great call. I've said that before, when that's a business side topic. Okay, um, so it's very good. Uh, well, thank you. I'm I'm kind of producing some radio sometimes. Yeah, you're all right. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> so Eflin versus Hendricks. Hendricks isn't the same guy he was a couple years ago. Eflin's just about on his last leg with me. He's not locating the fastball like he was a couple uh, his first three starts up here, which is just classic Eflin. Like he'll come up and, and flash some things and be interesting, and then he'll just be dog crap. Um, Eflin's nothing at this point. Jose Quintana, like another bust trade by that fraud uh, Theo Epstein. <laughs> <laughs> It's it's just it's just a shame that Jose Quintana has to face uh, the NL Cy Young winner in Aaron Nola. Like he just can't catch a break. Um, Aaron Nola, James, did you did you catch any of his start against the Dodgers? I actually did. Yes, he was unre- unreal. Like the ball was dancing all did over you, the place. Did it move almost the whole game? <laughs> Keep talking, Jack. It, he, <laughs> He is he is morphing into Greg Maddox right before our he, eyes. It's very Maddox like. That's what that's it. Like the 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 just the movement on his ball and his ability to paint the corners and he is really Maddox like. He really is. I mean, truly is. Um, and then Pavetta versus Chatwood. Chatwood hasn't been much of anything. Chatwood so stinks. Pavetta. Hendricks is better than you're giving him credit for, though. Hendricks good pitcher. Yeah, I mean, I can't wait for the Phillies to get shut down by a guy that throws 87. I mean, that's just going to happen. He's good, though, man. I know what you're saying, like, uh, but, like, he's good. He's a good pitcher. He just gets out. I understand he's a good pitcher. Um, but, yeah, then Pavetta versus Chatwood. Pavetta. They're going to win because you'll be there. I think he was Period. Good. I think he was good against the Giants. Uh, obviously, the numbers didn't really suggest that. Um but I think he, I think he was fine. Also, hold on, and I, I, I just want to talk about this for a second before we get out of here. Uh, Vince Velasquez was was flashing a two seam fastball that I had never seen from him before. That was very Aaron ish and now he didn't have it the whole game. But the fact that he was even flashing and see if he can go, if Vince Velasquez can can show ninety seven on his four seam, and then. Throw this two seam for a strike that just gets a guy a little bit out front, doesn't get him on the sweet spot, sweet spot, sweet part of the bat to go along with his advanced, his curveballs looking sharper recently because he's starting to spike it more and a changeup that's starting to get flashed more and more. I mean, I think Vince Velasquez is turning into a thing, and I, I'm, I'm really intrigued to see what he can do. Um, Pavetta, if you can get, like Pavetta, Velasquez, Nola. And Arietta is a legit four. Like, and and then you have then you have Sir Anthony Dominguez coming out of the bullpen and just shutting shutting everything down like the fireman that he is. I mean, can the offense just get going? If you get this offense I'm, going, I'm with you, man. Like, how this team could be really freaking good. They just could start, be. Just start hitting. Just well, start there, hitting. that's the thing is like that that top four, other than maybe like Washington, 
Like, I would put that top four up against any top four in the National League. You know, like, period. Like, that that top four is as good as any four in the National League other than maybe, you know, Scherzer, Strasburg, Geo, and Roark or whatever it would be. And even that, you know, the three and four are arguable, I would say. But um, I, I think it's a great point. And, and, again, I think that's kind of the heart of where we're at with the Phillies right now is – that they have the chance to be a really good team because the pitching is is not going away. And, and you know, we're two months into the season. I think you have to take certain things as real. And they also do, as we haven't really talked about much today, but kind of mentioned trade possibilities in general, but they do have ammo to make moves at the at the break, at the trade deadline if they – if they're in that position, they just look, it's going to come down to treading water this month. They don't need to separate from the pack this month. They need to play 500 baseball. That doesn't sound exciting or sexy or whatever you want to say, but they're 31 and 26 right now. If they come out of the month of June, five games over 500, that's awesome. I'll be really happy with that because the month of July gets incredibly easier. They play the Mets, they play the Reds, they play the Padres, they play a bunch of significantly worse baseball teams, the Marlins. So uh, it's a big month coming up. And I think this series, you know, getting a win in this series in Chicago could be a really good way to start it. But th- this is all really not important when we think about it. What really The most important thing happening any time in the near future is happening tomorrow morning. By the time people are listening to this podcast, I, obviously the morning crowd or, or the late evening crowd will get the jump and they'll they'll catch it before it happens, but there's going to be people listening to this podcast and it'll already have happened, Jack. You're going to throw out the first pitch tomorrow and there's a bet on the line and, and I supported you. I said you're going to do it and it's going to be close. What's going on, Jack? Give the people what they want. Tell us what's happening. It's gonna it's gonna be close, and so for those of the the those of you that don't know and, and don't follow me on social media, which you can always follow at Jack Fritz WIP and at James Seltzer at just James Seltzer, I'm pretty sure. Yep. Um, is that tomorrow? Not just James Seltzer, just at James Seltzer. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, it is the. I, I, this might be a take. This might be a bit of a take, but. It's the second most anticipated first pitch since George Bush in 2001. <laughs> What's it? Wow. I think that is a, um, yeah, you know, no other one is coming to mind. Listen, if, if you think George Bush had some pressure to throw a first pitch, just think about the 9.30 a.m. crowd in Reading tomorrow morning. <laughs> yeah. it's, pra- as, pra- it's practically the same thing. As, as I stroll to the mound. Um I have long convinced myself, as soon as I got into the media and, and whatever, that I would throw the best first pitch in, in the history of first pitches because I'm not some scrub like the rest of these media members. <laughs> <laughs> and tomorrow is my day to shine. And did I get a little cocky? Yes, I got a little cocky. And I, and I said that I could still throw 82 miles an hour, which, I mean, like, I sat... 81 to 83 at my peak and hit 86 at my absolute peak. So I'm, I'm, I'm trying to dial it back to my absolute peak <laughs> after two and a half years of being out. But I am still 24, technically not even hitting my prime yet. So spin zone there. I hit 83 times the other day as I was getting ready. Now the problem is that my arm still hurts, but... <laughs> it's going it's going to be resolved by tomorrow morning. Reading 9:30 a.m. is when it starts. I assume the first pitch is at like 9:20. 
the Jets will be flying in about 921. Uh, the national anthem sung by Carrie Underwood, I think about <laughs> nine. Who plays baseball at 930 in the morning? What the hell is happening to this world? Kegs and eggs, man. Kegs, uh-huh. eggs, and baseball. I like um, it. Um, we j- consider j- it prime time in, in, in the minor league baseball realm. <laughs> Jack, I am. Um, I support you from the beginning. I'm like, oh, he'll do it. No, uh, totally. I, I tweeted it out. I'm like, this guy's got it. Jack. This is this is the final call right now. The last chance. Are you going to do it? Will you throw 82 miles or better? Or better? Jack. I I, I 100% am. I I changed, Oh, buddy. I changed my mechanics. I went back to my high school form when I was warming me up in the pen the other day. I was throwing to a Listen. I let me just set the scene for you. I was throwing to a net. I wasn't even throwing to a catcher or anything. Oh, that's different. That's a big deal. That's a big I deal. I agree. I agree. And I was still hitting 80. So now when you throw a real catcher out there, you get the retired old people. You get the you get the the kids' day at Reading at Reading at the Reading Phillies. The game. adrenaline of it all. True. It'll be a true playoff like atmosphere. Uh, I I cannot wait. Everyone, literally every single person has doubted me because there hasn't been a media member. As athletic as me before. (laughs) (laughs) And I don't and I don't think people are ready for it. So I am excited to prove some people. Media members including, you know, former professional athletes and all, but yes, keep going. Wait, is Ike Reese and John Ritchie on our station? Oh yeah. You could say that. Sure are. Um, (laughs) Guess what? Football players aren't real athletes. Baseball (laughs) players are. Oh man, this is great. This is it. This is just. Whew. All right, Jack. I'm rooting for you. I had your back from the beginning. Don't oh, do gonna me on, dirty. It's gonna, it's gonna be on Facebook Live and Instagram Live. So follow Sports Radio WIP on both of those. If you miss it, and I actually do throw over 81 and a half miles per hour, I will be sure to blow up all of your Twitter feeds with video of me throwing over 81 and a half miles an hour, and not having to wear the broccoli like Joe Giglio Sports will have to wear the broccoli or will wear the carrot. I'm wearing the broccoli if I lose. I like this. This is good stuff. Joe Giglio Sports, a.k.a. Joe Giglio. Um, (laughs) Follow him on Twitter at Joe Giglio Sports. Uh, But uh, look, everyone, uh, do this for Jack because just in case he doesn't get there, and I think he's going to, but just in case he doesn't, the only thing on this planet that will be able to lift his spirits is if you rate and review this podcast. I don't know why it makes him so... It's all he cares about. It's that and throwing out the first pitch. It's the two things. His future wife, Jill, is way down on the list compared to these two things. That's how much he cares. Um, And and drafting Matthew Liberatore tomorrow. That too. Those are the three things. Big day tomorrow for Fritzy. Wow. It's a big day. So, it so could do be it for life, Jack. It could be a life-altering day. Yeah, it could be one way or the other. So so people, on the off chance that it doesn't go well for Jack tomorrow and the Phillies take some guy that he hates and uh, and he sadly does not exceed 82 on the gun or 81 and a half on the gun, please, please rate and review in the podcast. Jack, any final words uh, other than, you know, you're just going to go out and kill it? Uh, I do have a final thought on that exact thing. Uh, I would be lying to myself and the listeners <laughs> if I if I haven't already talked myself into hitting 86 
and the, <laughs> and the Phillies brass saying, "Listen, this guy's a producer. He's he's a, a fat little crap, and he just rolled out of bed and hit 86. Just imagine if we start molding him. <laughs> oh man, I'd be I'd be lying if I haven't started thinking about that. Yep, yep. And my final thought is that it's a perfect way." To end this podcast, we'll be back later in the week again. Rate and review for Fritz, and please pay attention to this, because look, this could be the last we hear of Fritz. Fritz could not be able to do the podcast anymore because he'd be pitching in the Phillies organization. How about that? How about that? I would get some good inside information. That's just yeah, that's true. That's true. I would hope you'd be able to. So uh, so again, rate and review, and watch Jack uh, uh, do it tomorrow, because I believe he will get there. I don't know about 86, but I think 82 is really in the cards. I feel good about 82. That's where I'll put, that's where I'll put my money at. Happy uh, right. Bomb Day, everyone. Happy what? Alec Bomb Day. Look at that. He's just making predictions there. Happy Alec Bomb Day. Happy Jack Fritz throws 82 day. And uh, happy I'm back so the Phillies are going to start winning baseball games day. Whoa, All right. For God. Jack Fritz, uh, for the absent John Marks, I'm James Seltzer. Thank you for listening to another edition of the High Hopes Podcast. We'll see you later.